Good morning, Peninsula. And uh, some folks here that I strongly suspect are friends of our speaker today. And uh, we welcome you. We're delighted you've joined us. And uh, we're happy to have you be part of our worship. Our pastor and uh, uh, student ministries pastor and our pastor's son are nearing LAX. Uh, they are supposed to land uh, this afternoon uh, on <coughs> coming home from their trip to uh, Uganda and uh, Israel. And uh, so we look forward to their return. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ken Garland. Once upon a time, I was on the pastoral staff here uh, back before jet airplanes. And uh, uh, I am now an elder and uh, in more ways than one. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to be uh, able to do what I've been assigned to do today. Um, I met Chris Cannon and you said 1984, huh? Um, Chris was youth pastor at Hope Chapel in Hermosa Beach and uh, I was youth pastor here and uh, we had a South Bay Youth Pastors Fellowship um, and before the service we were kind of rem reminiscing about some of the people who were part of that group and uh, <clears throat> it was a great support group for all of us. Uh, we enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Chris has had uh, numerous ministries in the South Bay, most recently senior pastor at Kings Harbor Church down in Torrance, and uh, now serves with an organization uh, that does leadership and training for pastors and youth pastors and others uh, involved in ministry, and he's involved with a couple of people who've been longtime friends of mine, Doug Fields and, and Jim Burns, and uh, we're delighted, Chris, to have you today. Come up and share the word with us. Well, there's a lot of uh, emotion for me to be here with you today and to be where I'm at with you and among whom I'm with. And I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to open the word. So if you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to John chapter 8. And... Uh, I'm a native of Palos Verdes. My folks moved to nine, moved here in 1964, bought their house from $19,000. <laughs> they could have bought the house across the street with an ocean view for $24,000, but that was too much money. So uh, <laughs> they still live on Indian Peak right off of uh, Basswood by the high school. I went to Sober Spur, Malga Cove, and Rolling Hills. We don't call Peninsula High School Peninsula. We call it Rolling Hills. Anybody with me on that one? Oh, thank you. A few of us are <laughs> okay. Uh, and I lived right across the street from Mrs. Ankrum. And I used to know her as Mrs. Ankrum. You might know her as Eunice Ankrum. Anybody know, know Mrs. Ankrum? Yeah, yeah. She probably prayed me into the kingdom, I would imagine. Um, when I grew up, I, we, we drove right past this church on the way to St. John Fisher. So I grew up Catholic, and then I met the Lord through Young Life. And uh, that's how I became a believer, was through the ministry of Young Life and Stan Lazarian back in those days. If anybody remembers the 70s, I worked at Vince's Spaghetti. That's right, that's right. You're like, oh, what happened to Vince's? Yeah, I was a busboy at Vince's. And I used to take all my tips and go down to the warehouse, Snooker's Pizza, and buy all the albums I could buy with $18 in cash. 
if you can remember back in those days. And then I worked at the Unical gas station right on the corner of Sober Spur and near Deep Valley and, and right by Warwick Lawns. I'm making back all these. Remember, anybody remember Buffums? Buffums? Yeah? Okay, so that's where I used to work at the gas station right there by the high school. And <sighs> good old days, right? And um, Pastor, can, can you bring me down just a little bit? Pastor Jim has been a good friend, and, uh, and Pastor Ken Longer. How, how many of you, who are, the, who are the Tuesday morning guys at Norms? I know Mike is. The Tuesday morning Norms, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm the other group across the way. It's like UCLA and USC. We kind of stare at each other like, oh, those guys are from Peninsula Community. There's Ken Garland. I can hear his voice. Um, so, and I used to, we used to have a group with Ed Lasseter over at Norms on uh, Tuesday morning, but COVID drove us home for a while, so I've been invited back to Norms. So I, might, I, may, I may cross over, you know, I might cross over to the other group. Um, we're going to read a familiar story, probably to a lot of us, and if it's not familiar, it will become familiar to you. It's the story of, of someone caught in adultery, a woman, the woman caught in adultery, it's known as. And what I want to do is read it and then talk about it. And when I say talk about it, I mean we're, we're, we're going to talk about it. So uh, be prepared to, to participate in the conversation. So two things I want us to look at as we read the story. What do we learn about Jesus and what do we learn about humanity? Okay, what do we learn about Jesus and what do we learn about humanity? And I want us to almost imagine as if we're reading this for the very first time. Because there's sometimes, when we read the scriptures, we were so familiar with the story, we almost kind of read ahead. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You almost kind of like, yeah, I know how the story ends. But let's pretend as if we haven't read the story before, and what we might, and this, even, even more, let's imagine that we walk up on the scene as it's unfolding, and we witness this event happening. What would we learn about Jesus, and what might we learn about Humanity. Make sense so far? Are we, with, are we together so far? Let me pray. Let me, make, let me calm my nerves a little bit here. <sighs> Thank you, Father. Thank you for Peninsula Community Church, for its, its place in the South Bay and Palos Verdes for many, many years. And um, to me, a symbol of uh, steadfast ministry through the years. And I pray that as we open your words, we read these, these words in this story that you would speak to our hearts about our lives, about the lives of those around us, and about, most importantly, about you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, John chapter eight, verse one, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, ironically, where did we see Pastor Jim? The Mount of Olives. Can we plan that any better than that, right? Did I, I said, okay, Jim, now listen, I'm gonna be speaking, I'd like you to be on the Mount of Olives when, I'm, I'm kidding. But that's where, that's the view from the Mount of Olives, which is spectacular. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now, what do you say? They were, looking, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin cast be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, 
where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Okay, ready? So what do we learn about, about Jesus and what do we learn about humanity? Now, if you look down, I'll call on you. That's, that's, your, that's your way of saying, please call on me is when you look down, okay? All right, anybody want to share? What, what's, what's one thing you learn about Jesus in the story? You raise your hand and what do you learn about Jesus? Yeah. He's grace. Grace, yeah. I mean, we sang about this grace, didn't we, today? I mean, then we get to, we don't just sing about it, we read about it. Yeah, over here, I saw a hand go up, yeah. He did not condemn her. I mean, she's been caught in the act. Now, what, who's missing? Is anybody missing in this story? The guy's missing, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's, this is a setup here. There's somebody missing, and it's the guy that's part of the story. Yeah, there, there's, right, what else do we get out of the story? What else do you learn about Jesus? His tenderness. You know, the word that he uses for woman is the same word he uses to describe his mother. Talk about tender, right? Talk, it wasn't like he, he could have used a number of words, right? But he speaks to her the way he speaks to his own mother, woman. It's a, it's, we may think, that sounds kind of odd in our culture, but to, to, to her in that language, he was speaking to her respectfully and tenderly. And do you think she was feeling like she was respectable at that moment? No, not at all. Anything else we learned about Jesus in, the, in, this, in this account? Yeah. One more time. He's honest. Yeah. I mean, does he, does he give her a pass at the end? No. Does he condemn her? No. Does anybody have a hard time holding that tension in life? We're going to get to that in a second. Anything else that we learned about Jesus in, the, in this story here that you want to comment on? He calls out hypocrisy. Yeah. And, and, and is that maybe one of the biggest sins of the culture today? When we talk to young people and we hear the Barna reports about people leaving church and we hear about young people not coming to church and we hear, and the number one sin of the culture today, if you listen to young people, is there's hypocrisy. There's so much hypocrisy. And Jesus isn't going to overlook it. He's going to call it out, but also show grace. Right? Anybody else? What did we learn about Jesus? Yeah, two over here. Yeah. He doesn't immediately respond. I mean, over, over the years that I, you know, of course, when I was getting ready for our, our time this morning, I read about what is he writing? There's all kinds of theories, right? But it, it must have been unnerving as he's writing on the ground and, and whatever he's doing, I don't know if he's playing hangman, you know, I bet whatever he's doing, it certainly has their attention. Yeah, in the back. He weighs sins equally. Yeah. There's a good thought, huh? He weighs sins equally. Do all sin separates. We're going we're to get to that in the close of our time this morning. All sin separates. And, and that's why I'm going to get ahead of myself. But the reason why Jesus says to leave your life of sin isn't because... God's going, oh my gosh, this is... Gabriel, another one. So three more, just put, a, just put a five up there, would you? No, it's because sin separates us from relationship. It makes us estranged 
from people, but most importantly from God. So leaving your life of sin isn't just because God's a scorekeeper, it's because it, it's, it, it breaks us up. The whole Bible is a story from beginning to end of what? Relationship. Of God making us, creating us, us enjoying him, us separating from God, God creating a sacrificial system to bring us back to him, and that fails to do what it's supposed to do, and then God sends his own son to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. What do we learn about humanity? What do we learn about humanity? And, you know, maybe even ourselves or, or just people in general. What do we learn about humanity? Yeah. <laughs> we love the point to finger, don't we? What's the old saying? You got three pointing back at you, right? We, it's, is, it, is it easy for us to point the finger? Yeah. Anybody find it easy to point the finger besides me? Just... Just a few of us sinners in the room here? Okay. The rest of you guys can go get coffee and we'll come back later and we'll talk about it. Yeah, it's easy to point the finger. Yes, sir. We're all sinners. And, and you know, the law, God's law isn't the problem, is it? The problem is, is us. The law exposes our sin. It exposes our, our thought life. It exposes our actions. It brings it into light. Without the law, we wouldn't even know. We, I was driving over here. I took the long way to get around here to, to go along the, the PB Drive West. And then I got right past Malga Cove, and it says, slow down, because I was speeding. I was going a little faster than the, the 35-mile-hour speed limit, right? So I'm like cursing the sign. No, it's not the sign's fault, the speed limit. It's me. I'm just break, I'm a lawbreaker. Yeah, we're all sinners. What else do we learn about humanity? Yeah. We try to manipulate God. Anybody ever try that before? Make deal with God? If I do this, you'll do this, and you know. Yeah. What else do we learn about humanity? Anybody else? Let's get one more in, one more share. Yeah, we like to point the finger at others and justify ourselves. Aren't we, we are a corrupt people, aren't we? What's wrong with us, right? There's a, there's a, this is, isn't this what Paul says in Romans 7? Why do I do what? What I don't want to do. And what I want to do, I what? I don't do. And then Paul says, wretched people that you all are. Oh, he says, wretched man that I am. Like, what's wrong with me? Why, do I, why can't I do what I want to do? Because I'm a sinner. Yeah, this is, this is, these are some great reminders. Now, what do we think is the agenda here? This, this woman has been caught in the, it says in the text that it was early in the morning. And, and there, there appears to have been a trap for this woman. And they bring her to Jesus. They bring her to the crowd. They throw her in front of them. Jesus is seated. What are they trying to do? Let's, 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 let's talk some more about this. Let's have some more engagement here. What are, the, what are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? It tells us in the story a little bit. Yeah, Karen? Yeah. Yeah, Karen says they're trying to they're trying to trap him. You know, they're, they're, you know, if Jesus if Jesus lands on one side or the other, he's going to get in trouble with the Romans or the Jews. Can you imagine this think tank? How can we get Jesus in trouble? 
Who's got an idea? I got an idea. Let's catch a woman caught in adultery, and then we'll ask him, who should, what should we do? Shouldn't we stone her? The law requires that. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah. But th- that's their agenda. Yeah. And the, another, yeah. Yeah. They're trying to use the law to, to suit their own purposes, aren't they? And Jesus sees right through it. You ever, you ever apply the law to someone else besides yourself? Any more of us sinners in the same group still? still? Yeah, you were speeding, I saw you, you passed me on the 405. Well, you must have been going pretty fast yourself. No, but the, right, what's, what's the point, right? The point is that we can, we can try to make it work for us and make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, the, the, the bottom line is, this is still early in, in the life of Jesus. This is John 8, right? And so Jesus is growing in popularity. John 6, 7, and 8 are all about the Pharisees asking him questions. And who are you? Where are you from? And, and they don't like the fact that their popularity is declining. Their approval rating is going down, right? And Jesus' approval rating is going up. And they're trying to like, maintain their position in society, and they figure, oh, this is our best chance to just knock him down. He'll get in trouble one way or the other. They want, notice this, they want Jesus to condemn her, but they won't do it themselves. You follow me? They are not, they're not going to touch this. They want him to get in trouble. Now, now what's Jesus' agenda? Jesus says in in, uh, Mark 10, I came not to be served, but to what? To serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So when we think about Jesus, think of these two words, to give and to serve. Or as 1 John says, he came to destroy the works of the devil. What a contrast in agenda, right? What a contrast in what, what is he trying to accomplish here? One group is trying to destroy and bring a wedge. One is trying to, and Jesus is trying to redeem. The Pharisees wanted her condemned. They wanted Jesus condemned. Now, the word condemn, I looked up in several different, several different places for a, a definition. To condemn, to declare as beyond repair or restoration. To, de- to declare as beyond repair or restoration. To be declared as reprehensible, wrong, or evil. Right? Now, if anybody thought the word condemn wasn't strong, this is what it means, right? To declare as beyond repair or restoration, to be declared as reprehensible, wrong, or evil. And biblically, to condemn is the judicial act of declaring one guilty and dooming him or her to punishment. I'll read those again. Just like, I want you to feel the weight of this. This is not some small matter. This, this isn't like going to small, this isn't like Judge Judy, right? This isn't like I want, this is not a real court. This is, no, this is me saying, hey, I don't want them, I don't want just some money out of this or some damages. I want you to declare him, and in this case her, as beyond all hope. Why would someone do that? Why would someone be so hostile and driven 
is to want someone to declare someone is beyond that. To declare is beyond repair or restoration, to be declared be, to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, the judicial act of declaring one guilty and dooming, dooming him or her to punishment. Some of you are builders. If, if a building is condemned, what does that mean? Dave, what's it mean? Uninhabitable. Uninhabitable. No one can live here. It's unsafe. It's not, it's, it doesn't have a good foundation. It's only le- what's left for that building is to be what? Torn down or destroyed. The wrecking ball. If you want to watch some fun videos, watch implosion videos. <laughs> Sorry. It's like watching trucks when you're a little kid, when you're a little boy. Watching these buildings just implode, right? But they, but they, tip the, they put the tape around those buildings and the, and the tarps and all of the, the, all of the signs. Hey, get away. This thing's going to go down because it's, it's, con- it's been condemned. What kind, of, what kind of person is condemned? Who's usually condemned? Prisoners, right? And what, what's the condemnation usually going to be? What, what's the punishment going to be usually? Death. Death. Condemned to death. Their appeals have been exhausted. They've called the governor. They've called whoever they can call. They've called the president. And all their appeals have been exhausted. And now what's left? Condemnation. There's no more hope for you. There's no more appeals left for you. You're just biding your time until the inevitable death, condemnation sentence has been fulfilled. Notice that Romans, think about, think about this. I'm not going to go there yet. But who wrote Romans? Paul did. Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, right? Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he was a terrorist. I mean, I would have tagged him as the condemned. I would have put the forehead and then stamped condemned. Kind of, you know what I mean? I mean, if anybody would have, you would have thought, who among our society today in the first century church, who's attacking the church, who's putting people to death, who is beyond all hope? Well, it's got to be that guy. And who does God choose to send as a messenger to the Gentiles? The same guy. Right? Is anybody beyond hope? No. Is anybody beyond hope? The redemptive arm of Jesus. Not even somebody caught in the act of, of, a, of a gross sin. But God. Don't you like that phrase we've been using in society these, in church lately? But God. What does that mean, but God? What, is, what, are you, what, does that try to conti- what does that try to communicate? There's a different ending. There's an alternative ending coming up here. There's a, there's a shift here from whatever's happening now to there's going to be some hope and some life and vitality and a change, and here we go. Ephesians 2, but God, who is what? Rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, but God, he's not like us. Now, I'm going to read to you out of the New King James. Now, I don't know why I didn't discover this until this morning, but I did. I was going through different translations. Listen to, listen to how the New King James reads, has verse 6. They said this, the Pharisees, testing him that they might have something to which 
of something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, listen to this, listen to this, as though he did not hear. That little phrase is only found in the New King James Version. I'm going to read that again. He stoops down with his finger, begins to write in the ground, as though he did not hear. Verse 7 says, they continued to ask him questions. They continued to question him. Why were, they, why were they continuing to question him? Because he's not paying attention to them. Isn't Jesus amazing? He, it, we, our, 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 our son moved in with us and his wife and three grandkids last week. Seven of us with one bathroom. Pray for me, right? <laughs> I welcome your prayers. And, you know, my grandkids, they're so funny. They're, they're eight, six, and four. And when I, anybody remember the old Pink Panther movies, Inspector Clouseau and, and, and Kato? Well, my, my grandsons think that they're Kato. I walk by the room and pound, they just pounce on me, right? And, and they just jump on my back, and I'm like, I feel like I'm walking like this half the time because I'm so wrecked. But, but they'll, Grandpa, 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 Grandpa. And, you know, we call that in psychology extinction. When you're, trying to, when you're trying to ignore a behavior, you put it on extinction. You ignore it, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you try to put it away by ignoring it. And there's Jesus writing on the ground. And whatever he's doing, he's not listening. Isn't it good to know that our Savior doesn't listen to the accuser. Anybody with me? The accusers, the agenda of the enemy, the whispering, the shouting, what are we going to do with him or her or you? And Jesus seems to just tune it all out. As though he did not hear. What a moment. I don't know how you grew up in faith. And, and I'll tell you that I grew up in, in a church up the street from here where I thought that God was always angry at me. And I was never going to be good enough for him. And that he had, he had intel on me all over the place. Mrs. Ankrum probably turned me in many times to God. But, but that, that's a misunderstanding of the character of God. Because Jesus just isn't, isn't just some prophet, is he? He's not just some guy that came in as a teacher. What do they call him? Teacher. What does she call him? Sir. But who is he? Who is he? Okay, yeah, he's God. <laughs> he's God. Just newsflash, right? He's God. And this who is talking to her and this who is talking to them is not just some guy. He's God. And the reflection of grace to her is the reflection of God to us. He does not listen to the accuser. Is that good news for anybody? What a moment. What a, what a moment for all of us. Jesus declares his mission, his agenda. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You know verse 16, of course. John 3, 16 and 17. I think we have that on the PowerPoint here. Uh, there we go. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now look at verse 17 though. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. Now we usually stop at verse 16 a lot of times. We've memorized verse 16, but verse 17 is pretty good too, isn't it? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's his mission. He didn't say, hey, who's got intel on people? So give it to me. I can condemn, 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 condemn. Get more tape. Condemn, condemn, condemn. Get more tape. Condemn. Am I making sense? That's not what Jesus came to do. That's not what he came to do, to bring a wrecking ball. He came to save. He came, and, the, and the way that he brings salvation is to offer himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This isn't a small thing he's doing. Every person that he's forgiving and offering it to, he dies in our place for us. Am I making sense so far? He's dying for us. He declares his mission. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul makes this plain. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who wrote that again? Formerly known as? It's not God. <laughs> that guy is Saul of Tarsus, right? Formerly known as the terrorist. Formerly known as the, as the guy that was out to kill Christians and, and bring the church down. That guy writes that verse. That guy says there's no condemnation. And if anybody understands the value of that, it's me, Paul. Because I was on my way to H-E double toothpicks, right? I was on the fast track to, to judgment and condemnation. But he says it. He says, look, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What we have here are kingdoms in conflict. I want us to notice the movement of the story. Because it starts with Jesus sitting, right? In, in, in a, Jesus is sitting, but he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna move around a little bit, isn't he, in this, in this posture, in this story. But notice the first thing that happens is everyone's looking at who? The woman. They bring her caught in the act of sin. They put her in front of the crowd, in the middle of the, maybe the circle. Jesus has been sitting down to teach. I would imagine most of the people that are there are sitting on the, on the ground or in some kind of chair. They throw her, they make her, what does it say? Stand. They make her stand in front of everybody. I don't know how she was dressed, how she was presented, but she's standing in front of everybody. And then what does Jesus do? He gets down a little bit lower. But notice the movement goes from looking at the woman to looking at Jesus. Everyone's looking at her, but Jesus is so beautiful, isn't it? If there was anybody that was so ashamed, so aware of their sins, so, uh, so completely aware of how humiliated they are, it's her. And as Jesus begins to kneel below her, and right, 
Where's all the attention moving to? To Jesus. And probably what he's writing on the ground. But, but for the crowd, probably paying attention to Jesus. What's he doing over there? Now he's lower than them. Is this the only time that Jesus gets lower? How about born in a manger? Is that pretty low? How about riding on a donkey into Jerusalem? Not a, not a horse. A donkey is a symbol of what? Peace. An offering of peace. How about washing the feet of the apostles? Is that low? Yeah, it's low. And how about a cross? Not physically low, but in terms of culturally, incredibly low. This is not a new thing for Jesus. He left heaven and came to earth. He lowered himself. Psalm 18 says that he condescended. He stooped down to make us great. He left paradise and entered into this thing called humanity. Into our, he was baptized as though he was a sinner. He lowers himself. Doesn't, can, you, can you imagine? There's a baptism happening and Jesus walks by and John and Andrew say, hey, you going to go in? He's like, nah, done nothing wrong. Is that what happens? No, he, he gets baptized. Why? So he can identify with us. He can be lowered all the way into our lives. So we have a great priest who says, I understand your sin and temptation. I've been tempted like you. You can come to me whenever you want to. Jesus lowers himself. And then what happens next in the movement? They go from looking at her to looking at who? Him to looking at themselves. Looking at her, pointing the finger, as we said earlier, pointing the finger, judging her, to looking at Jesus, to maybe trying to judge him, and then he says, hey, judge yourselves. Right? Judge yourselves. Hey, if you can, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. Isn't it ironic that the one person without sin doesn't? Right? The one person who had not sinned doesn't throw the first stone. Reminding us from John 3, 17, I came not to condemn, but to save. Isn't Jesus amazing? You know, I, we live in a world where we're constantly being asked our opinion right, about any number of social events, TV shows, celebrities, pastors. And we would be wise, I would be, I would be wise to say, I don't have an opinion. Who am I to judge? I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be the one who condemns. I want to be the one who comes in the, in the name of Jesus and offers hope and grace. Notice that Jesus neither condemns the woman nor condones her lifestyle. It's such an amazing tension, isn't it? He doesn't drop one on her. He doesn't condemn her, but he doesn't condone her, her, her choices of living. 
And, and that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. Okay, everyone look at me. Sin has consequences. In this world, in this world, Jesus removes them in eternity, but there are consequences in this world for your sin. Adultery is a serious sin. And it comes with consequences, especially for those who have taken a role of leadership. You might think, well, she got off easy, didn't she? We have no idea what her life was like before or after that moment, do we? What she lived with. Jesus doesn't let her off the hook, does he? He says, essentially, you can make better choices. Choose, choose to, wouldn't you like to have met her three years later? And just want, like the woman at the well who went and told everyone in town about Jesus? I mean, don't we want to see her in heaven and say, can I just get a cup of coffee with you and talk about how that whole thing went down? Like, what was Jesus like? But isn't that, a, isn't that what we want? But listen, if we somehow think that Jesus didn't rescue, that if he rescued us from our consequences on this world, no, there are still, forgiveness and lack of consequences aren't the same thing. I can be forgiven, but I can still feel and, and, and expect to have consequences due to my own choices. The old saying is still true, isn't it? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Why, why hate sin? I mentioned it earlier. Why hate sin? Because sin separates. It separates. It's not just that God's keeping a score of some kind. Again, God made us. God loves us. God formed us. God wants us to enjoy him and him to enjoy us and to walk in all that God has for us. Why hate sin? It separates. And Jesus came to break the power of sin in our lives. So as we wrap, as we wrap it up here, a couple of quick thoughts and as we close. Let's remember a few things. Number one, remember our testimony. Revelation 12, 11. We're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Jesus died in my place and bore all my sins for eternity. And I, this is my first time in this community in a, in a pulpit in over eight years. And that's because God has been kind to me and faithful to forgive and restore on his timing. That's part of my testimony. I wish it, wish it was a different story. Let's remember our testimony before we judge others. Number two, let's remember our sphere of influence. People need to see Jesus, don't they? And when we live and walk as ambassadors of Jesus, we're, we're hopefully drawing people not to me and you, but to Jesus. The world is, is so desperate for the grace of Jesus and that no one is beyond that hope. No one is beyond the outstretched arms of Jesus. And then, and then you know what? The reminder that all of us, many of us have kids, adult kids. How many of us are praying for our adult kids? And, and maybe you have an adult child that's, that, is, that is out there. 
they're not beyond the long arm of Jesus. Right? And maybe right now you need to know, you need to know that you're not beyond the grace of Jesus. And finally, I found this to be true, that those who look at Jesus, like the woman caught in adultery, will often look to Jesus and eventually begin to look like Jesus. Isn't that true? We started by looking at Jesus, didn't we? And then we might have looked to him to be saved. And then over time, we begin to look like Jesus. And that's wonderful, isn't it? That's a work of God. It's a work of his grace. Let's pray together. You know, one thing to remind us as we pray is that at the end of the days of our life, it's going to be just like this woman. We're going to be standing alone with Jesus. And he'll say to us, does anyone condemn you? And we'll say no one. And he'll say neither do I. Father, we come before your throne. We thank you for sending your son who became lower than us, washed our feet, got down on the ground and wrote in in the dirt, carried our shame, bore our sins, became sin for us that we might become righteous through faith. We pray now for our lives, for our kids, for our family, for those, our friends, our neighbors, those we might think are beyond repair, restoration. Lord, guard us from thinking that they should be condemned. Guard us from thinking that anyone is beyond hope. Lord, protect us from judging others before we judge ourselves. And thank you that you were were judged for our sins. You became sin. We might become righteous through the blood of Jesus, your son. And Father, I pray that we would walk as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, gracious, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, and quick to give hope, the hope that comes in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.